Welcome to the Spartan Spirit Podcast, where we take a stoic, pragmatic, and nation-first view of policies and practices that are not in Western society's best interests. I'm your host, Bill Kuralakis. I'm a retired senior Royal Australian Air Force officer, and today we're talking about a mental health issue, stress. The Spartan Spirit is all about my passion for defending Western society. And it's the slow degradation and weakening of Western values and power that is of great concern to me. I'm concerned about the West's decline because I don't want a world where Western values are in the minority. Democracy, individual rights, and most of all, a nation-first perspective are the underpinnings of those Western values, and they are worth fighting for. It's through that lens underpinned by an evidence-based approach that I will give you my opinion regarding what's best for the West. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. I have a few preliminary points to make on the topic of stress, because this topic isn't going to be presented as most of the previous Spartan Spirit Best for the West podcasts have been presented. The very first point I have to make is that I am not a medical expert. For any of you suffering from mental health issues, including stress-related problems, or those of you managing people with mental health issues, any opinion I make today regarding mental health or stress is not a replacement for proper medical advice and treatment. Go see your doctor instead of listening to me. Secondly, I usually present a problem and offer a solution in this podcast series. The topic of mental health is huge and it's highly nuanced, requiring a depth of understanding and education that I don't have. My intention is to address a concern I see about how we are dealing with stress. In my preparation for this podcast, it quickly became apparent to me that you can't break out stress as a standalone issue because mental health is an interwoven range of issues. That means that all I'm going to do today is give you my opinion that we have a societal problem related to stress. And today's episode is about describing that problem and offering a view about what we need to do. Before we get into the history of stress, we need to clear up some terminology. And the following is drawn from the American Psychological Association, the Mayo Clinic, and a paper that came out of the Regensburg University in Germany. Stress can be described as a normal reaction to everyday pressures. As for what can cause stress, there are many triggers, such as having a boss you don't like, working with someone you don't like, a work deadline, a fight with a loved one, being unable to work, discrimination, chronic illness, physical discomfort, such as being too hot, too cold, or in an uncomfortable position for a long time. For example, Anyone who has flown a long way in economy class has experienced physical stress. Bottom line is, there are many things that can cause you stress. In simple terms, we all experience stress every day. And we therefore all have a baseline level of stress that is ever-present. From a biological perspective, heightened levels of stress can cause the release of hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline. These hormones enhance your response to danger or pressure of some sort, 
So stress is a good thing in short bursts and in certain circumstances. For example, I know that as part of my flying career, heightened stress situations certainly gave me more energy, mental sharpness, and faster reaction times. But some of those stress hormones can produce negative outcomes, such as suppressing growth hormones and impeding thyroid function. This is not an issue if the stress is short-term, and people that remain in a stressed situation for a long time can develop a stress hormone imbalance with potentially negative outcomes. Regardless of how long the stress has been experienced, for some people, stress can present itself as a range of mental and or physical symptoms. In simple terms, it could be the basic human instincts of fight, flight, or freeze. Secondary symptoms include sweating, irritability, anger, fatigue, depression, panic attacks, muscle pain, digestive troubles, difficulty sleeping, etc. I think one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my career was an army captain whose body and mind completely froze when he had to stand up in front of a two-star general and provide a briefing. He just stood there, unable to do anything or say anything, and he had to be helped off the stage. This was a classic panic attack induced by stress. Let's hope he did better in combat situations. To summarize, and this is a quote from that paper out of Regensburg, Stress occurs when aspects of the environment overwhelm people. That is, people feel stressed when too much is expected of them or when events seem scary or worrisome. In health terms, stress is considered to be unhealthy when it upsets your day-to-day functioning, such as affecting bodily function and influencing how people feel and behave. The American Psychology article went on to say that by causing mind-body changes, Stress contributes directly to psychological and physiological disorder and disease and affects mental and physical health, reducing quality of life. When stress-related disorders such as these persist, then medical treatment may be needed. Different types of stress can be categorized as acute or short-term or chronic as in long-lasting These can be further subdivided into a range of classifications usually related to their cause, but that is getting into too much detail for this episode. But I will mention one subcategory, that of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. This is an anxiety disorder brought on by an initial stressor of some sort. I'm not talking about PTSD today, and I'll likely return to it as a future episode on its own. Now that we know the terminology of what stress is, let's look at the history of diagnosing stress. Given that stress is part of a person's reaction to some stimulus, including the release of stress hormones, then we can say that stress has been part of human existence for millennia. But the context from which a stressor appears and the response to that stressor has changed over time because human society, technology, and understanding have all changed over time. Thus, how the medical community has considered the phenomenon has also changed over time. The following comes from the U.S. National Institute of Health and a University of Toronto paper in Psychology Today. In the early 1900s, scientists began to study how the body reacted to stressors. Prior to the 1900s, the term stress referred to mechanical stress. In 1915, Walter B. Cannon coined the word homeostasis, 
referring to a set of acceptable ranges of values for internal variables, in other words, what's happening in your body. Cannon believed that threats to homeostasis would activate the adrenal system, which we now know is a stress hormone. In the first half of the 1900s, the medical community sometimes used the word stress to refer to what was called nervous strain. Then, in 1936, Austrian-Hungarian Hans Selye produced a paper published in Nature titled A Syndrome Produced by Diverse Innocuous Agents. This paper discussed experiments on rats which were given acute nonspecific innocuous agents, or stressors, which included exposure to cold, surgical injury, spinal shock, excessive muscular exercise, or drugs. Basically, it sounds to me like he tortured these rats to see what would happen to them. He speculated that regardless of the stressor, hormonal reactions and physical indications of stress remained similar. He thus started espousing the notion of stress as a concept which had linkages with hormones, and he did this in the 1940s, particularly that stress could include long-term changes in people caused by disrupting homeostasis, or the body's natural balance. Selye was a prolific writer who was nominated for the Nobel Prize 17 times, and his work helped cement the place of the term stress in modern medical language. Selye's simple explanations have evolved into more complex understandings, the details of which aren't important for our purposes today. Suffice to say, there are many stressors and many symptoms people can have in response to stress. Now that I've laid out the basics of what stress is, let's turn our minds to this. Is our modern Western society under increased levels of stress compared to previous generations? There are two general theories here, so we'll start with the overarching view, and the following comes from a paper written by Dr. Fabian Hutbacher of the University of Würzburg in Germany. The first theory is that the modern world has a lot of stressors much more than the simple life that existed in the pre-industrial age. And the counter-general theory is that the pre-industrial age was just as stressful as modern times, but that the stressors were just different. So I'll summarize these two theories for you. Firstly, those who say the pre-industrial age was as stressful, if not more stressful, than the modern world will say this. Life was unimaginably harder in pre-modern, pre-industrial societies because the daily struggle to survive in the face of crop failures, famines, epidemic diseases, and natural disasters with minimal to no government support was unimaginably harder than life is in the modern world. The counter-argument is that modern life has so many stressors that people are always stressed, and those arguments go something like this. Modern industrialized society sets a rapid, hectic pace for living. People often have too many demands placed on their time. They're worried about uncertain futures, have pressure on them to achieve or to meet the expectations of their peers, and have little time for family and fun. Put another way, stress is regarded as the result of living in the fast lane, which is sometimes seen as an inescapable consequence of our lifestyle. And I can give you some examples here. People working indoors in offices where they have multiple demands such as meetings, answering emails, picking up the phone, talking to their boss, ignoring the music, street noise, and others talking in the background. Or how about families with both spouses working full-time? 
being bombarded with information on multiple forms of media such as phones, internet TV, ads on billboards, ads on buses, magazines, etc. By the way, if you haven't heard of the term for this, it's called techno-stress. That's a new one for me. All of which makes it tremendously difficult, if not impossible, to distinguish the important things from all the white noise. Considering the near-constant stressors in the modern society, the body's responses to stress are sometimes regarded as being entirely appropriate. In other words, it's just normal to be stressed out if you've got a whole bunch of stressors on you. But our bodies might be inadequate to meet the intolerably high and relentless demands imposed by modern living conditions. So in summary, those that espouse the view that there's more stress in modern times say that there's so much relentless stress on our bodies that we are indeed exhibiting new reactions that were not seen in the pre-industrial age. The Huttmacher paper touched on the fact that in modern times, we have tools to make life easier. But one wonders if we've simply traded one form of stress, say manual labor, for another, say using a spell checker, or trying to download the driver for your printer. Thus, Huttmacher concluded, and this is a quote, It's probably true that more people than ever report being stressed. However, it isn't clear that most people are more stressed than used to be the case. Our ancestors had to contend with major epidemics, poor life expectancy, poverty, and an almost complete absence of holidays. Taking all that into account, my hunch is that stress levels nowadays are much the same as in the past. End quote. Of course, there are many counterviews out there. So where does that leave us in answering our question? Well, I'd say we've partly answered it. There are different, but probably more stressors on the modern person than in the pre-industrial era, where perhaps a greater proportion of society had more existential concerns. So I'm not sure that Huttmacher's view that stress has been about equal across the ages is actually true but it probably is somewhat true for Western nations that are not in an existential conflict. We can look at this question another way. I think that what's different between pre-industrial times and today is the way in which we view stress, our understanding of how to deal with stress, and the way in which society manages stress. So let's look at how stress affects modern Western society compared to historical times and perhaps we can glean some answers from that perspective. Again, this is from Huttmacher's paper. In pre-modern times, there was no concept of stress. Life just was. But now, the concept of stress is deeply rooted in our present-day Western societies and can be used to describe one's feelings, thoughts, and experiences. Just consider how stress shapes our daily lives. For example, in the modern world, People use a stressful day at work as an excuse not to tell their children their bedtime story or as an explanation why they're always fighting with their partner. They participate in stress management seminars in order to learn relaxation techniques and coping strategies, and they ask their doctors to put them on sick leave and talk to their psychotherapists. Stress is also used to state the discomfort with current societal and economic developments, and climate change for that matter. Most importantly, others understand this complaint about stress. In other words, being stressed out is now a way of defining one's self. Consider that in comparison to pre-industrial times. To be stressed out was not a way to be a person back then.
people did not interact with their friends, their families, their employers, their counselors by leaning on stress as a reason for being dysfunctional. And I'll add that you don't need to go all the way back to pre-industrial times. I certainly think back to my youth, and I never heard anybody talking about stress as a reason why they couldn't do something. So the advent of stress as an issue is a relatively recent thing. I think based on all this evidence so far, we can say that perhaps the modern world is more stressed in the broad sense than in the past, and we've touched on many of those reasons. So, we must now accept that people today consider themselves to be stressed. And there is ample evidence and support for that view, particularly in Western society where governments, schools, and large businesses seek to support stressed individuals and to manage situations to reduce stress and the outcomes of stress. Another important factor is just how stressed people are. Most research indicates that people are reporting higher and higher levels of stress in the modern era compared to just even a few years ago. I think we need to find a way to determine when stress is legitimately a health issue and when it's actually just a normal part of life. Remember, we all live with stress. The problem in trying to draw a line between normal day-to-day stress that people should just learn to deal with versus debilitating stress that makes one dysfunctional is that the assessment is often subjective. In other words, individuals make an assessment about themselves. It's not uncommon to hear people say, I'm taking a me day, or I'm taking a day off to unwind, or I'm taking a day off to de-stress. If we consider that Western society is about individual rights, then we could accept that individuals can choose to treat their stress levels, whatever those levels are, by taking days off, whether that's from work or from school or from taking an exam or from having to give a presentation or doing public speaking, socializing for introverts, etc., etc. There are many mental health programs and a lot of public health messaging that encourages people to consider their mental health ahead of whatever task or societal issue they might have had on a given day that they were stressed. So it's no wonder there are increasing numbers of people who are declaring themselves to be stressed out. The messaging to do so is rampant. But I think the societal acceptance of taking days off for stress is a problem. Sure, some people are legitimately dysfunctional from stress. I get that. But I find it hard to believe that people can't deal with stress in better ways other than taking sick days. I'd like to see a different approach applied to determining whether someone is stressed enough to have a sick day. My gut tells me we need to go back to the basics. Instead of leaning on individual freedom to take a stress day off, I'd prefer to see an approach whereby we determine if someone gets a stress day off by considering what's best for the broader group or society in general. That is the true essence of Western society, not the individualistic approach taken in how we deal with stress. Put another way, before someone gets to take a stress day off, we should consider what that person is avoiding by taking a stress day. If it's work, an exam, school, training, or some social task that needs to be undertaken, then I think there needs to be a higher tolerance for stress in our citizens. Managers and parents need to be able to assess when the task at hand is more important than taking a day off due to stress. And this means we need to have some judgment involved here. 
I know my mother was a pretty good judge of figuring out if I was trying to get out of school through some mild illness. And I reckon most parents and managers can figure this out with the right training and by taking a group or society first view of the issues. To get this mindset in place, we need to pull back on the public messaging about the individual approach. And we need our schools, our media, doctors and researchers to change to an outcome-focused approach. And that outcome is get on with your life and get on with being part of society, not the woe is me, I'm stressed out approach. And if you're sitting there in disagreement, ask yourself this. How do you think military units continue to operate even when under extreme stress? I've been on countless operations and I can tell you the secret. It's because military people think of the team first, not themselves. And while I'm on that topic, if you see individualism creeping into your military, fight that at all costs. Individualism in the military or the police is a cancer. We already have that cancer in our society, and that individualistic mindset is largely to blame for rising numbers of people taking stress days off. It's up to you to do your bit to support what's best for the West. So next time you're stressed, think of whomever you're letting down by not going to work or school and crack on with a task. And that opinion of mine is not applicable to everybody. There are some people that do indeed need medical help, and I hope you go and get it. That's just my opinion based on my life's experience. And that's it for today. Next week, we are going to talk about alleged war crimes committed in Afghanistan and Iraq by Canadian, American, British, and Australian forces. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help me spread the message of what's best for the West if you tell a friend, post a link to it in your Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and give the podcast a rating. You can find the references I use today on the podcast notes of my website, spartanspirit.au. That's all one word, Spartan Spirits. Thank you for listening. Thank you.